0: So in recent recent weeks, we've been uh, discovering how God worked in and through uh, this rather dysfunctional family in the ancient Near East as part of a broader plan to bless the whole of creation. In the first instance, God chose Abraham and promised to bless all nations through him. And we've been plotting that core the course of that blessing that will ultimately be brought to fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. So we've been hearing about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and last week we heard about Jacob's 12 sons and in particular his favourite son Joseph. And we learned how Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, sold to the Ishmaelites who uh, took him to Egypt. Let's try and look at this from Joseph's point of view. Joseph, the second youngest of 12, uh, had two dreams in which it was obvious that he would be lifted, uh, elevated to a higher position than his brothers. Uh, Genesis doesn't explicitly tell us that those dreams are from God, but the implication is there. And now Joseph finds himself a slave traveling towards Egypt with a caravan of Ishmaelites. I don't know about you, but if I was Joseph, I'd be wondering why God had allowed this to happen. I might be saying, listen, God, you promised to raise me up in my family, but here I am, a slave, traveling away from the family. What on earth is going on? It would really test your faith to the limit, wouldn't it? And sometimes when things aren't going well in our lives, we might be tempted to ask, where is God in all this? And it's a legitimate question. And the conclusion we reach will dictate our response to the situation. And so we might recognize that God is still working in our lives, even though we can't really see how. God feels distant, but deep down we know that he hasn't abandoned us. That that is one perspective. Or we might decide that God isn't there after all. And if he is, well, he's not much good to us because look at the way things are going. Uh, When we face difficult circumstances, we either use our faith to get us through or we lose it. Uh, That is the choice. Use it or lose it. And Joseph clings onto his faith. He's been carried to a distant land, but he knows that his God goes with him. And once he reaches Egypt, the Ishmaelites sell him. Uh, to a man named Potiphar, captain of the palace guard, uh, an important official in Pharaoh's entourage. And verse 3 tells us that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. Now, if anyone had reason to be lackluster in their approach to work, it was Joseph promised greatness and betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, living in a foreign city and uh, taking orders from a man who didn't even worship the same God. You might think that Joseph would be bitter, resentful and tainted, but he wasn't. Joseph's demeanour was such that Potiphar uh, could see that he was a godly man. He was so hardworking and trustworthy that Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household. Joseph became a real blessing to Potiphar. And the people of God are always called to be a blessing. Now, Let's look at some examples of that. Uh, Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, uh, he went to war against four marauding kings and relieved a great number of people from their tyranny. He was a blessing. Uh, Jacob, Joseph's father, Uh, He was a blessing to his uncle Laban, whose flocks increased exponentially as a result of his oversight. Here we see uh, Joseph being a blessing to Potiphar. If we fast forward, we see that the ultimate blessing comes through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And today, the world is to be blessed through Jesus' disciples. That's you and me. I wonder, do we go to work with the intention of blessing our employers and our work colleagues. You might be thinking, no, I don't. But you don't know how bad my employer is. But even if your employer is dreadful, you're not in Joseph's uh, situation. You're not a slave. You might feel like one at times, uh, but you're really not. We are called to be a blessing. Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the lord not for human masters we are to conduct ourselves in the workplace as if we are employed directly by jesus Potiphar soon realized that joseph was a godly man and that's how it should be for us our employers should look at us and say there's something different about that person Regardless of whether we're emptying bins or managing a multi-million dollar hedge fund, we should do the best job that we possibly can. And that means having absolute integrity. C.S. Lewis said that integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. I recently spoke with someone who works with some fairly awkward characters, uh, and he said, you know what, I just want to be the easy one. But shouldn't that be the aim of all Christians in the workplace? Shouldn't we aim to be the one who doesn't cause any stress or friction or problems? The one that can be relied upon to do their job and to do it well uh, without anyone having to check up on us. Of course, if something illegal or immoral is happening in the workplace, then we have to stick our necks out. But generally, uh, our aim is always to bless our employer. So given the circumstances of uh, his slavery, things don't seem to be working out too badly for Joseph. Uh, But then we read this. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And in the face of sexual temptation, Joseph once again demonstrates his integrity. He says, with me in charge." My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Notice that Joseph's chief aim is to avoid sinning against God. And I think it's fair to say that Joseph is one of the few wholly positive role models in the Old Testament. Uh, He's human, he's not perfect, but he is the first genuinely good example from scripture. There will be others, Daniel and Esther, but he's the first good example. In fact, later in the narrative, Pharaoh identifies that the spirit of God is at work in Joseph. Uh, That's not been said about anyone up until this point In the Bible and I'm thinking again about how we conduct ourselves at work and in life in general when we're filled with the Holy Spirit people should be able to identify that there is something different about us Jesus said a tree shall be known by its fruit and from Galatians 5 we know that the fruit of the Spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self control. And with Potiphar's wife trying to seduce him day after day, Joseph needs to exercise a tremendous amount of self control. Joseph is determined to do the right thing. And as we'll see, that has dire consequences, but it also leads to great blessing. Now, it might seem like a fairly unusual situation living in a house with someone trying to seduce you day after day uh, but there's a modern equivalent of this and it comes in the form of internet pornography which ensnares so many people today it is a big problem uh, in our society and pretty much everyone has access to the internet so there is a sense in which Potiphar's wife is in all of our homes might be tempting to think that pornography is somehow less harmful than having an actual affair with a real person, uh, but that is a fallacy. Uh, viewing pornography has been shown to rewire the human brain. Uh, exposure to it changes the brain at a chemical level and disables us from the kind of intimacy that we've been made for. It's highly addictive, it's dangerous And it's the cause of countless marital breakdowns. Of course, Jesus has the power to set us free from this addiction, just as he has the power to set us free from anything that has a hold over us. But like Joseph, we need to learn to flee, to run away from sexual temptation. The other day I saw a prank on YouTube in which someone had dressed a small dog up as a giant tarantula. And it looked quite realistic. And then they set this thing loose at dusk to harass innocent passers-by. And people saw this thing coming towards them, didn't even have time to register what it was. They just turned tail and ran. Isn't it interesting? We instinctively run from physical danger. And yet we are less inclined to run from moral or physical danger. We need to understand that sexual sin is dangerous on a whole number of levels. We need to run from it in the same way that we'd run from a 50-pound tarantula. We don't want this stuff to take root in our lives. And if it has already, we need to address it. The most effective way of dealing with it is to bring it out into the light uh, bring it into the open. Find someone that you can confide in, talk to, pray with about it. Someone that uh, you can ask, well, give permission to ask you questions and hold you accountable. If this is something that you struggle with it, you can be free of it. You can be free of it. Uh, but it's probably going to take a lot of prayer and a concerted effort on your part. So Joseph was confronted with sexual temptation On a daily basis and there comes a point where he goes into the house to carry out his duties but none of the other servants are there and this is probably joseph's great mistake he puts himself uh, in a very compromising position and again there's a lesson to be learned there i guess it's equivalent of browsing the internet late at night when people have gone to bed Uh, you may not you may have innocent motives but it's easy to get sidetracked but joseph doesn't get sidetracked he remains steadfast in his resolve to stay faithful to God. And when the mistress of the house approaches him, he resists her, just as he had done on all the previous occasions. And this woman, Potiphar's wife, she's never actually named, makes a grab for him. And Joseph turns and he runs out of the house, leaving his cloak in her hand. But this isn't the first time that Joseph has had his cloak torn from him, is it? Last week we saw how Joseph's older brothers took his richly ornamented robe right before they sold him to the Ishmaelites. And each time that Joseph's cloak or robe is taken from him, it signifies that there's going to be a dramatic change in his life. And there certainly is because Joseph's wife accuses him of attempted rape using the cloak that he's left behind as evidence. Potiphar's wife is understandably incensed and she ha- he has uh, Potiphar thrown in jail. And it goes to show that doing the right thing will not always keep us out of trouble. Uh, in fact, right actions will often lead to negative consequences. And it, it, it's a reminder that we live in a world that is in rebellion against God. When we go against the grain, things are not always going to go well for us. A couple of weeks ago... Uh, we'd just finished dinner, and Isabel told me that she had something very important to say. She didn't want anyone else to hear, so she asked if she could meet me in my office. Uh, it was at the front of the house. So we went to the office, and I sat down, and uh, she told me that she'd been speaking about Jesus to her friends at school, and they'd all laughed at her. And I think this may have been her first experience of doing what she believed to be the right thing and getting a negative reaction Or consequence from it often in life and particularly at school we're we're taught that if we make good choices things will go well for us but that can be a bit misleading it's not always the case as we can see uh, with Joseph Joseph was in prison despite the fact that he did the right thing in fact Joseph may have been in prison because he did the right thing and so Joseph reaches another point in his life Well, I think we'd be tempted to ask, where is God in all this? And maybe he did ask that question, but he retained his faith and his integrity. And once again, he becomes a blessing to the person to whom he's responsible, in this case, the prison warder. Uh, and Joseph was so responsible that the warder put him in charge of all the other inmates. Uh, we're told that the warder paid no attention to anything in Joseph's care. So the warder could kick back, relax, enjoy life. He knew that Joseph was taking care of it. How trustworthy do you have to be to be a prisoner put in charge of the prison that you're in? Once again, we see Joseph, because of his integrity, because of his faithfulness, being raised up to a position of considerable responsibility. And I don't know whether you've noticed, but in the whole Joseph story, God seems to be working in a slightly different way. Previously in Genesis, we see much more in the way of miracles. Uh, It's almost as if God's presence is more obvious. I mean, look at Abraham. God spoke to him. God appeared to him. His wife, Sarah, gave birth in her old age. And then uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, had that incredible vision of angels ascending and descending this stairway or ramp to heaven. Uh, And then he actually had a, a physical wrestling match with God. Joseph had two dreams. And although we believe that they were from God, the text never actually tells us. I think it would be fair to say that Joseph's experiences are much more open to interpretation. So in a sense, Joseph is the one who trusts God in the silence. And for a big chunk of his life, Joseph can't possibly see how God is going to bring this uh, all together. But when we read this story as a whole, we can clearly see that God's hand is upon Joseph and God is at work throughout And you know, there are two ways that God works in the world. He works through miracles and he works through providence. Miracles are obviously supernatural occurrences where God suspends the laws of nature in order to fulfill his purposes. Uh, There are plenty of miracles in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And we believe that God works miracles today. However, miracles are the exception. If they were the norm, by definition, they cease to become miracles. More commonly, God works through providence. This means that God works in and through everyday events. God works in and through monumental events to bring about his purposes for individuals, nations and the world. When God works providentially, it's less obvious and much slower than miracles. But I would argue more impressive because in his providence, God takes account of everything, every detail, every variable, every person, every knock on effect, everything. And that is why throughout the Bible, it often looks as if God's plan has been irrevocably sabotaged by human sin. And yet his plan is never derailed, not even for a moment. God will always get from A to B, regardless of what happens in between. And we can see this so clearly in Joseph's story. So did God make Joseph's brothers, throw him in a cistern and sell him to the Ishmaelites? No. Did God want that to happen? No. God never wants us to sin. But can God work through that situation and incorporate it into his plan? Absolutely he can. Did God make Potiphar's wife accuse Joseph of attempted rape? No. Did God want that to happen? No, God never wants sin to be present in our lives or in the world as a whole. But in his providence, God can even incorporate the effects of sin into his eternal plan. God is not moving us around like pieces on a chessboard. Uh, God's governance of the universe takes account of such things as free will human sin and prayer and that is why jo- Joseph's journey is a difficult one but as we'll see next week God used Joseph in the most extraordinary way to save the family out of which Jesus would have, uh, eventually come from starvation God is at work in our lives perhaps sometimes through miracles but more often through providence through his invisible hand of providence and that means that for most of the time we can't actually see what god is doing i mean with hindsight when we look back over our lives often we can see how god uh, brought us to the point that we're at but often when we're in the midst of it all we, we can't always see very often we can't see what god is doing and how he's working but joseph's story enables us to see how god works And we can therefore be confident that God never ceases to be at work in our lives and in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge that you do work through miracles. And uh, many of us, if not all of us, have seen miracles in our lives. Uh, But more commonly, you work through providence. You work in and through human history, through events. You work in the mess and the muddle of human life. And you work all things uh, to the good. We thank you, Father, that that history is moving towards a point where the world will be renewed and restored. Those who know and love you will be with you forever. And, Father, we pray that... uh, At the times in our lives when we're experiencing the most difficulty, the most hardship, the most doubt. We pray that we'll follow Joseph's example and hold on to our faith. Recognize that you are still at work in our lives, even when we can't see it. We thank you, Father, that so often we get to a point in life where we can look back, as we'll see with Joseph next week. We can look back and we can see uh, how you're at work, uh, even when we couldn't see it. Thank you, Father, and we pray that you continue uh, to fill us with your spirit and work in our lives and in the life of this church, this community, this country, this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.